Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Our kids are invited to Kids on Worship this time if you want to do that, or you can remain in here with us. If you're uh, visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm senior pastor here at Grantham, and uh, some of you have already asked me this morning, I, th- I didn't think you were here. Well, I was in Texas this past week. It was 105 there yesterday. I'm glad to be back here in Pennsylvania. Uh, you can pray for my family because they stayed back in Texas, as you heard Brantley say, uh, this coming week we'll be on a civil rights bus tour. Uh, with Todd Allen, I'm so glad to have my friend Todd Allen here. If you don't know Todd, he is the Vice President for Diversity Affairs. Did they reduce that title? Because that seems shorter than last time. Okay. The Vice President for Diversity Affairs and a Professor of Communication next door at uh, Messiah University. He's also the founder of the Common Ground Project, which is a nonprofit dedicated to um, teaching about the history of the civil rights movement. And we're going to learn all about that this week. So please pray for us. And please welcome my good friend Todd Allen to the pulpit. Well, good morning. Giving all glory and honor to God, it's truly a privilege and a blessing to be with you, to be back with you, actually, uh, in, in worship. To my brother and friend, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, to the leadership of this congregation, I, I'm humbled um, by the invitation to, uh, to return. To each of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ gathered here uh, in the sanctuary or virtually uh, at home, uh, I greet you for the work and thank you for the work that you are doing in this part of our Father's vineyard. For our time together this morning, the Lord has laid on my heart a rather familiar passage of scripture you heard read for your hearing, but I'll read it again from the book of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, for which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let us pray. God, with whatever I do, may it always point back to you. Motivated by love and grace, serving others in any space, Take my mind, my mouth, my hands to carry out, Lord, your divine plan. I want to be part of your story. Use me, Lord, to enhance your glory. Amen. Those words of prayer were not my own. They were taken from a morning prayer by 
my brother and dear friend, Pastor Kent Chevalier, is the chaplain for the greatest football team on the face of this earth, the Pittsburgh Steelers. There you go. Kent, Kent posted this prayer a week or so ago, and I told him that I'd, I'd use it because it was so fitting for today's message. And I said, I might even wrap it, uh, but my skills are not in that area. So in order to preserve the integrity of that prayer and my credibility, uh, I, just, I just spoke them. But I think they speak with great clarity to our theme this morning, and that is the gift of grace. Now, before I, I go a little further, know that I come from a call and response tradition where when the word goes forth, you speak back in word or raising your hands or clapping your hands or standing on your feet or just even giving me a head nod. I don't know how you praise here, but feel free. Said another way, if you were watching your favorite athletic team and they executed a play to perfection, if you were watching your favorite movie or television show and a scene moved you, if you were listening to your favorite musical artist and that song touched you, whatever you would do then, feel free to do this morning. Our text this morning reminds us and makes it very clear that we're saved by grace through faith and that our talents, our efforts, our bank accounts, our good works, even our charming personalities have nothing to do with it. Father Michael Marsh puts it this way, grace looks beyond our productivity, our appearance, our ethnicity, our accomplishments, and even our failures. Grace recognizes that there's more to you and who you are than what you have done or what you've left undone. Grace reveals the goodness of God. In fact, the only, he goes on to say, the only precondition of grace is that we show up and open ourselves to receive what God is giving. When we do, we begin to see our lives, our world, and our neighbors differently. The grace of God has been described in many ways. Some have called grace the last resort for the hurting and the helpless. Grace, that ultimate expression of love, has been called God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the good news that lies at the very heart of the gospel that we proclaim. John Piper called grace God's unmerited favor that represents more than we deserve, yet greater than we can imagine. Not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just a pardon. Others have said it this way, grace teaches us that God loves us because of who God is, not because of who we are. Grace reminds us that humanity is born broken, lives by mending, and that the grace of God is the glue. Grace reminds us, as Pastor David Swanson says, that, quote, we are broken people moving tenderly toward other broken people, steadied by the broken body of Christ. 
In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey argues that the true meaning of grace lies in the fact that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. Grace means that even I who deserve the opposite am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. A little later this morning, we're gonna sing one of my favorite songs of the faith, Amazing Grace. It's a familiar song, but often with an unfamiliar history. Over the years, the more I've studied this hymn, the more I've come to appreciate it. For you see, the writer of that hymn, John Newton, knew what it meant to be a wretch and to be lost and to be blind. But not only that, Newton knew something about grace. As a child, his mother taught him the scriptures and hoped that one day he would enter into the ministry. However, when he was but seven years old, she passed and her loss sent Newton in another direction. The age of 11, he'd venture out to sea with his father, eventually becoming a midshipman himself. He'd live out the formative years of his life in what could best be described as riotous living to the point of becoming a self-described what he called great blasphemer, whose life was far from the course that God had intended. Said Newton of this time in his life, quote, the Lord had now to all appearances given me up to a hardness of heart under his judgment. I was capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor so far as I remember the least sensibility of conscience. In a profession not known to have the most wholesome of characters, by his own description, Newton would become chief among the sinners. For instance, in a culture where sailors habitually swore, I know nobody here knows swear words, but while aboard that ship, the Greyhound, Newton gained notoriety as being one of the most profane men that the captain had ever met. In fact, so much so he was admonished several times for using the worst words the captain said he had ever heard. Words that were said to have, quote, exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. But it was not just his words, it was also his actions. Actions that at time would result in him being imprisoned at sea. What I'm trying to say is John Newton was a bad, bad dude. But you see what I like about Newton, what I appreciate about Newton is that Newton is a metaphor for life. Newton is a metaphor for my life. And I know I just met some of you, but dare I say he's a metaphor for your life. He's a metaphor for the Christian journey. Newton was born into sin, but he was raised to know and to do and to be better. And when life was difficult, Newton knew to cry out to God. But when life was good, Newton didn't think he needed God. Sound like anybody you know. In fact, he went as far as mocking those who relied on God. But God is good. And every now and then, he would have these temporary moments of repentance and come to himself, realizing he was not living the life that God nor his mother 
had intended for him. Yet and still, these moments were brief, only to be replaced with even greater moments of riotous living. Admitting that he was at this stage in his life, quote, religious, he acknowledged that his faith had no real roots and had taken no great lasting hold in his life. How many of you can relate to John Newton this morning? In due time, being at sea, Newton would engage in one of the most lucrative yet dehumanizing practices of his age, the slave trade. And while on one of his journeys, a violent storm erupted that threatened to sink the ship and kill all aboard. In the midst of that great storm, Newton fell to his knees in prayer and cried out to God for mercy. You see, in the midst of that storm, having all having done all that he could in his power do, he remembered that God that his mama had told him about, that God who hears and answers prayer, even from those who walked away from God. T'was grace that taught his heart to fear. For hours, he didn't know if he and the others aboard the ship would live or die. Over time, in God's time, the winds lessened and the storms began to calm. His cries for mercy had been answered and grace, his fears relieved. The beauty of God's grace is found in the fact that while grace does not excuse sin, it does treasure the sinner. In his testimony, Newton reminds all of us this morning that even if we've walked away from God, God has not walked away from you. This morning, somebody needs to know, don't ever feel as though your storm is too great to call upon God or that you've got to wait until the storms of life come to call upon God. His life spared, he'd always remember and mark that day, March 21st, as a time of conversion recognized with prayer and praise. However, see what I like about Newton is that he keeps it real. He's quick to point out that his journey back to God did not occur in one great leap. Gradually, he grew in knowledge of the saving grace of God. He didn't immediately leave the life of the sea, nor did he abandon his work in the slave trade. In due time, he would come to see the error of his ways and the error of a system that he was complicit in. After some time, he would leave the seafaring life and enter into the ministry. And soon he'd become well known for his care as a pastor and his preaching was so popular, kind of like Pastor Flowers, that his church couldn't contain all of those who flocked to hear the word of the Lord. Newton would go on to renounce the slave trade and become a powerful voice for abolition. He'd capture his testimony in published letters, but it would be his hymn writing, and particularly the hymn, Amazing Grace, that would be the most enduring. As the story goes, it was in 1772, and he needed a song for his New Year's Day service that would inspire his congregation in their daily work and service to the kingdom. He must not have had a talented worship pastor 
So he took the task on himself. Reflecting on King David's prayers of thanksgiving to God, Newton wanted to challenge his congregation and not be so quick to forget the many ways that God had blessed them over the years. He asked them to remember that moment in time when the Lord granted his greatest blessing on them, that moment when he found them. And he says in thinking about his moment, all he could think to capture that moment was grace, but not just grace, but amazing grace. There's a story told of this song that intersects with the words of John Newton, intersects the histories of those enslaved uh, whom he transported. According to musicologist Dr. Wintley Phipps, quote, many of what we call Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano. I know nothing about music, so I'm taking this expertise of this musicologist. If I'm, if I'm wrong, just don't tell me. Let me believe that I'm, that I'm right. <laughs> sometimes these notes, sometimes called the slave scale. One of the most ha- famous hymns of the faith, Amazing Grace, is based on the melody of a West African sorrow chant, a chant that Newton would have heard coming from below the decks on the slave vessels he captained. One of the most amazing songs of all times brings together the enslaver and the enslaved, leading one to wonder who was really in bondage and who was really free. Every now and then I think about the place of grace in my life and in my relationships with others, and I wonder why have I so often received grace even when I didn't deserve it, yet at the same time fail and fall short of extending grace to others, especially those, you know those people, that you think are least deserving. I'm often asked in the midst of ongoing tension, division, alienation, and violence if things have ever been this bad before. I answer that I wasn't here before, but I'm here now. And what I see is a world in desperate need of lament, of healing, repair, restoration, justice, and reconciliation. I see a world in desperate need of grace. And while the news of the day might cause moments of doubt and feelings of despair, I hold fast to the hope, for I know God's grace will lead us through these storms. God's grace indeed will lead us home. I'm reminded of a moment a few summers ago when I was going through a trying period in life. However, I had others relying on me, so as best I could, I had to put on a happy face and press on. But God knows your heart, and he knows when you need a glimpse of his grace and mercy. My moment came in a chicken and waffle restaurant in Greensboro, North Carolina. And in fact, just the fact that a chicken and waffle restaurant exists, that's a sign of grace and mercy. (laughs) If if I'm missing in Greensboro, I'm around the corner at this chicken and waffle restaurant. Uh, After enjoying a delicious lunch of shrimp and grits, I was patiently, which means I wasn't patient, waiting for my bill so I could get to my next appointment. And finally, I caught the waiter's attention 
and I'm sure showed my impatience in my tone when I requested the bill. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, sir, it's been paid in full. Another customer in the restaurant saw you and felt like you needed something nice done for you. So they paid your bill, God bless. Though that moment happened some time ago, every time I think about it, and not just because of the shrimp and grits, a smile comes across my face. In that moment, I'm humbly reminded of my need for grace as I know I'm not worthy. In that same moment, I'm also reminded of my obligation to extend grace to others, to be a lot more forgiving than often I am. In his book, Grace is Greater, Kyle Eidelman calls attention to the belief that grace is not just something to be studied, it's also something to be practiced, to be lived. According to Eidelman, quote, Jesus never used the word grace. Instead, he showed us what it looked like. He was the embodiment of grace. This grace is not just for ourselves and for our individual lives. That grace that can turn our individual lives around is that same grace that can turn our collective lives around as well. Grace of God doesn't give us freedom to live for ourselves. As the passage in Ephesians reminds us, the grace of God gives us freedom to live for someone and something greater. That someone called Jesus, that something called the kingdom. As Christians, as persons saved and transformed by the grace of God, we are to be ambassadors of grace to the world around us. Yet while there is a great need for grace, so often what we find practice is not grace, but, but ungrace, even from those who've been saved by grace. Whereas Paul's letter to the Ephesians helps us to better understand this doctrine of grace, it's Newton's testimony, and that's really what amazing grace is. It's a testimony that gives us an illustration of the experience of grace. Through his testimony, we come to realize that it's the grace of God that awakens us to new life. Amazing grace can penetrate the hardest hearts and make the dead alive and receptive to God's gift. The grace of God is active. You see, the beauty of this gift of grace is that God didn't wait for us to get our act right to act on our behalf. God didn't wait until we become good people to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. While we were still prodigals, while we were still far off, Jesus came on our behalf. To the child of God, grace means that God moved heaven and earth to save us when we didn't even care about ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful this morning for that amazing grace. And I'm even more grateful that God is the author and finisher of grace. Grace of God is amazing, and it has a way of working that even when someone means something for evil, God's got a way of transforming all things for good. The grace of God has a way of turning the oppressor into a freedom fighter, the slave trader into a liberator, the lost into the found. This is the kind of grace that John Newton was talking about, amazing grace. It's been described as one of those songs that's got the power to lift the bowed down head of the hopeless, to soften 
hearts that were hardened, to make the crooked straight, to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. It's been said that this song was sung by both the North and the South during the Civil War, or where we're heading, I guess, the war between the states or the war of Northern aggression. It was an anthem during the Civil Rights Movement you might remember some of you this thing called the Berlin Wall. It was sung as that came down, and it was sung on the release of Nelson Mandela from a South African prison. It was sung on 9-11 to comfort a nation in mourning. It was sung to welcome the New Orleans Saints back home following the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. It was sung to mourn those murdered at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. It's a song that needs to be sung today amidst our lingering unrest and ongoing division. You know, there was a time I used to feel intimidated about my faith, not in the sense that I was ashamed to be a Christian or share the gospel, but more so I was intimidated because I didn't have some great conversion story. I didn't have a John Newton story battling a storm. My story, I didn't feel, was made for television. Yet as I've grown older, I've learned that, in fact, I do have a great conversion story to tell. Looking back over my life like Newton, I can see the hand of God at work even when I didn't know it and even when I didn't care. I can see clearly how grace has afforded me the chance to begin again and sustains me every step of the journey. So I'm happy this morning because like John Newton's testimony, my testimony and your testimony too. No, I was never a slave trader. I was never a preacher. I was never a hymn writer, but I was a wretch. I once was lost, I was blind, but praise be to God for the gift of grace for now I'm found and I can see. Like Newton, I too can sing that I know the deep in my heart that the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as this life endures. But the truth about God's grace is that it's so amazing, it's so amazing that it can carry me from here into eternity. The end of this life's journey, while lying on his deathbed, Newton said, quote, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I remember that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. So as we prepare to leave here this morning, it's my prayer that John Newton's testimony be your testimony. I pray that you know that the grace of God is greater. Grace is greater than your guilt. Grace is greater than your shame. Grace is real enough to heal. Grace is strong enough to hold you when you're weak. Grace can satisfy your disappointments. Grace can redeem your brokenness. Yes, grace explained is necessary, Adelman says, but grace experienced 
is essential. This scandalous grace is what Yancey describes as the great distinctive of the church. He goes on to say, it's one thing that the world cannot duplicate, yet it's the one thing that the world craves above all else. May you leave this place knowing that God's grace is available to you this day, at this very hour, and that it's a gift, freely given, freely received, and that this grace is sufficient for the day ahead. Know also that God's grace isn't just for you, but that being saved by grace, we are called to be agents of grace in the midst of so much ungrace. In fact, grace, grace is the only fitting response. Let us pray. Dear God, we come now thanking you for the gift of your amazing grace. Lord, thank you for all you've done in our lives and all that you have yet to do in the days ahead. Lord, we are imperfect people living in imperfect times who need your grace in a mighty way as we walk this journey. Lord, guard our hearts against the things that pull us away from you. Give us your strength during the storms that will come knowing that you promised to be an anchor. Right now, Lord, somebody needs you to cover them in the healing power of your grace as they seek comfort and direction. This day, Lord, spur our hearts and minds that we may become more fully aware of your grace. We may honor you by extending that grace to others. Amen.